Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Now, from Happy Valley, here's your host, Brian Tripp. And we welcome you into another episode of Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Brian Tripp with you once again and joined this time by Penn State women's hockey head coach Jeff Campersall in his third year now here in Hockey Valley. Happy Valley, Hockey Valley for you guys. Coach, what's it been like in your first two seasons and now into your third year learning about Penn State and making a transition from a place, Princeton, where you were at for 21 years? Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a great change for me uh, personally uh, and professionally. Uh, professionally, there's been so many uh, helpful people around here. Um, still trying to get to know Penn State better. Um, from what I know in my two years, that it's a really passionate place. People are passionate about their sports. Um, we're trying to elevate our program to uh, some of the best teams on campus. That's our goal. Um, athletically and then academically, we're uh, trying to get the biggest team picture in the Morgan Academic Center. So we're trying to... Um, change our culture it's a it's an everyday process for us um and again like as coaches we're still learning um just exactly what penn state entails i think uh, my time at princeton by being a student there was a little bit uh easier um not that i was uh sort of intrusive on their time but i always knew where they were Mm -hmm. uh, at specific times i always knew exactly kind of what classrooms they were in where they're hanging out uh down down at bigger rank so here it's uh it's a, a little different, but like we're, we're chipping away and, and um, making progress. That's funny because I remember I was a freshman at Penn State in 2007. And the first couple of days for me, I needed the map out. Was it the same thing when you got to Penn State for the first time? Yeah, I've taken uh, two campus tours and uh, the people who run them do a very good job. And uh, I still am a little uh, confused on where I'm going. So I, I do probably feel like... Uh, a first year checking out phones and figuring <laughs> out like where I need to go. So I've been trying to get to class uh, uh, with our with our student athletes, and they'll give me the building and the room number. And sometimes I'm like right on it. Other times I'm uh, uh, ten minutes late, which is not good. You know, I marvel about the way those people walk backwards the entire way across campus. Yeah. Could you imagine doing that? No, I couldn't imagine walking backwards nor uh, talking that long in a row. <laughs> Well, we promise we won't keep you that long here on the podcast today. What was the first thing? You probably found the creamery, though, right away. Yeah, the uh, creamery. My, my kids love the creamery. Um, I don't have a – I do have a favorite flavor, but the creamery doesn't offer it. So uh, this is my one standard uh, – or one my one plug that if anybody uh, from the creamery is listening, that they make um, a black raspberry with chocolate chips mm-hmm. in it. Uh, that would be amazing. Uh there is a place, uh, Lawrenceville School, uh, in Lawrenceville, New Jersey, which was kind of like uh, not adjacent to Princeton, but just down the road. And uh, they had a place called Purple Cow, who that was the ice cream, the Purple Cow. And uh, if if someone could get that going, that'd be great. Oh, uh, that sounds really, really good. You know, if you're successful enough, you could actually have an ice cream flavor named after you. And then <laughs> <laughs> I know that. So maybe uh, actually, I don't know. I can't put the time frame on it, but hopefully someday. So wife, a couple of kids, tell us a little bit about your family and what it was like for them to transition from New Jersey to, to PA. Yeah, they, uh, well, my wife went to uh, Princeton as well. Mm-hmm. Um, she is a lawyer. Um, she's taking a break from uh, being a lawyer for now and helping uh, out our both children and the other uh, children at the Ferguson Elementary School. 
and um, she's having a good experience with that. Uh, so my daughter Kira is eight, and son Jack is six. Uh, they play multiple sports. Um, it's very cool. Just like Amanda from softball. Just we just had a. Uh, I just ran into her, and she's like, "How come Kira hasn't come to batting practice?" And so, like all the all the programs around here, uh, field hockey, uh, soccer, they run like really. Good clinics for the youth, um, but also um, there's other entities around State College that are really helpful. So our kids do a little bit of everything. Um, there's no uh, specialization. Um, we try to stay kind of on the background and encourage, but um, I, they do love the transition um, from Princeton to Penn State and the fact that it's like a smaller community. There's more. There's more kind of opportunities. Um, both Kieran and Jack went to Shaver's Creek this summer and mm-hmm. did, a, did a camp, and they really, they they love that. My, uh, I mean, Jack is huge into nature and all that stuff, and there's really no uh, um, better place around here. And then um, Coach Celeste is getting into uh, uh, fly fishing, and so we're trying to get um, our kids out there with her. That hasn't happened yet, but um, actually at the end of this past, uh, this summer we went to uh, – uh, Cape Charles in Virginia and, and my friend uh, took them out on a boat and took them deep sea fishing which is a good experience for them so they're, they're meeting like all kinds of people experiencing like new things and um, we're really happy about that. Do you have them skating? Yeah they, they skate um, so coach uh, Ryan Patrick here has done a really good job mm-hmm. uh, with the clinics that, that he runs uh, so they do NLDP they do the skill sessions they're both um, they're both gonna participate in ICERS this year and uh, my my daughter uh, is an eight U, but she's practicing twelve U. There's a group of uh, young uh, females, which is uh, which is great for her. She kind of likes that environment uh, better. So hopefully, there's more uh, opportunities uh, like that around here. I think one of the missions uh, from the from the from Terry and Kim Bagula was trying to create as much. Um, or build the youth hockey programs as much as they can. And uh, from what I've seen, that that is happening. And um, the youth players through camps and, and some of Ryan's clinics, and they're eager to get out and, and get after it. And uh, my daughter is as well. But um, but as a parent, I've, I haven't gone through it. As a parent, that's a lot different. Um, with uh, both kids, or Kira in particular, there was, um, there was a player at Princeton named Fiona McKenna. Like, I tried to get my daughter out to skate. And she wouldn't. And uh, Fiona asked her one day, and she went out and spent like an hour out there on the ice, the, her very first time. So uh, uh, she needs that like like female uh, role model mentorship. Mm-hmm. And in our in our Penn State team, uh, we have twenty four of those like that mentors. And if they can get our if if I can get her surrounded um, by them, that'll be a good thing. Um, that speaks about the kind of player that you've been able to recruit here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we're trying to. Um, it's it's bizarre. Uh, we, we, I have different stories that are sometimes like impersonal, but I used to coach um, with Coach uh, Ben Smith, with USA Hockey, and he, in coaching at the national team level, it's a it's a different experience. But he always used to say at the end of camp, he's like, "Hey, if you ever see me uh, in an airport, make sure you." stop by and say hi and I and I at that time I always thought that was a little impersonal and I thought like the player the players thought that as well but it is kind of true in, in some scenarios but like in general we're trying to uh, that does happen that's actually randomly happened to me uh, twice recently where I've run into players but I keep in uh, really good contact with most of the players that I've coached um, we have uh, uh, they might not uh, 
like me all the time during the the four years that I that I uh, experienced like with them, but we stay in pretty good contact throughout, and we're trying to um, build that same sort of family like atmosphere here at Penn State. Well, you obviously had a lot of success at Princeton. There, you're in the top ten of wins for college women's hockey all time. How do you take a foundation at a place like Princeton and then to Penn State? And how do you adapt that to a different program for somewhere that was so near and dear to your heart for so long, yeah. being that you graduated and played there and coached there for over 20 years? Yeah, the, the uh, well, again, I, I still need to learn more uh, about Penn State, but I know that uh, just as a, uh, a general theme for me is like how you do uh, something is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I dealt with uh, high achievers at, at Princeton and there's higher achievers uh, at Penn state here as well. Uh, but the kids who are really like, usually like cranking it out, like academically or doing that on the ice. Um, they're helping in the community. Somebody like Kelsey Crow, who was involved in kind of all aspects uh, of Penn state, we're trying to look for um, those character kind of, uh, players who appreciate like what they have, grateful for what they have, and take advantage of all the uh, opportunities that Penn State has to offer. It's interesting we have this discussion because here we are. It's not year one, not year two, but year three. It, it's it's always a process yeah. for for a staff and a coaching staff. Things don't happen overnight. It, it yeah. takes time. Yeah, it takes a, it takes a lot of time because there's a, each year is a, a fresh start. There's definitely a carryover sometimes. Um, like our culture currently is the best that it's ever been. Uh, we work on that every day. We have uh, great help from Carlosen, who's a sports uh, psych here on campus. And uh, he has a great way of sort of framing things, messages like to the players um, and sort of uh, reemphasizing like what the coaches are um, trying to get across. Um, but essentially we're getting when we get our program and we're almost there, when we get our program where the players are running it um, and the coaches are doing less, not because we're like lazy will still work hard in other areas, but when the players like run the program, that's when you know it's uh, that's when you know it's a great one. And um, when you when you feel it and you sense them like how they uh, come off the ice and how they interact with the, with one another, um, more so than uh, you hearing it, you know that like you have your you know that you have your team where it needs to be. Looking back on your career. Can you point to specific examples with really good teams that you've had in the past as to when you kind of knew that happened? Sometimes it's like you're, I mean, actually a lot of times it's your best player uh, being your hardest worker. And so in, in some scenarios, like some teams are looking for maybe the, the better kids to not necessarily like pick them apart, but wait that wait for them to fall off the mountain. And uh, when they don't and when they can like bring other people along with them, that's when it happens uh, other team other times you don't have like that star player but you just have a bunch of uh, hard working players that all buy in um, and just really like understand that the, you know they've built their culture up so much that this is the way that they this is the way that things go here this is the way that we want to be remembered um, and it's like you don't really even have to talk about it that much it's like it's clearly like understood because that's what's been that's that's been the tradition of the program. So take us through the process of recruiting players because it's not always just finding the right player that's the best player, but also the right player that's the best fit for your program. So what's the recruiting process like for you and your staff? Yeah, well, it, this is another uh, tricky thing with this with the start at Penn State like five five years ago, uh, maybe longer, maybe six or seven. Like we would have a, a normal recruiting cycle where we're recruiting uh, juniors in high school, uh, bringing them on official visits, unofficial visits, all that, uh, going to the person's home, uh, meeting their, uh, 
meeting their families, seeing how the, the student athlete interacts with, with her parents and, and whatnot. Now, uh, the last three years since we've been at Penn State, um, we recruit eighth graders, ninth graders, 10th graders. So you never, uh, you get to know the, the player by phone. Uh, if they come unofficially, um, you can meet them a little bit, but you don't have as much uh, homework built up on them. Uh, and there's essentially like an arms race to commit these players, which um, all the college coaches, like we, we put ourselves in a tricky spot. Um, so to be honest, I don't. I, we, I know, like we have really good players uh, coming to Penn State down the pike. Um, I know that, uh, I, like, I think they're really good uh, people too. Uh, time will tell. And then now with the new NCAA recruiting rule, where um, they passed in May, that we it, it'll go back to where we can't talk to anybody until uh, after their sophomore year. It'll slow things down, and you really get to know their family. But basically, like those home visits, um, those those meant a lot to me just to be able to see like how like a player brought her dishes to the sink or I don't know, like little things that you could like pick up on, um, uh, thank you letters and you know, how, how, how people like react on an everyday basis. Like we'll get back to that, which will be much, uh, it'll be much easier to identify. And then from, um, so it's better going back to the way that it was definitely going better going back. And then also, um, the players, the the current players are important in the process too. So if somebody, uh, if they have the culture the way they, the way that they want it, and somebody comes in, it's not, it's not. Uh, she doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. She might be a great player, but she doesn't fit. How you know, based on like her interactions in that forty eight hour period, that uh, then we'll stop that process too with that player. So the, so the current players have a lot to do with it as well. I couldn't imagine trying to project project what a. 13, 14 year old, how they could fit at a college level. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like, like essentially that's what happened for the last three years, people making commitments, people being like schools, pressuring kids to make uh, commitments before the rule change. And so it'll like our sport will be very interesting. Hopefully the commitments uh, are kept, you know, whether good or bad, like people keep their, their word to that and, uh, and go forward. But like, well, we'll see. Where is the state? You mentioned that, Terry and Kim Pagula, they had an effort here not only to make Penn State a, a great men's and women's college hockey program, but also to have it as an impetus to growing youth hockey in the state of Pennsylvania, really in the heart of PA, because everyone knows Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, two really hockey hotbeds. So how have you seen hockey grow from a women's standpoint in the state of PA? Well, again, like you mentioned, like Pittsburgh has a great uh program and that youth programs in that area of Philly as well. Mm-hmm. Um, around here, I'm not as familiar. So I am going to a lot of the the youth hockey meetings now, whether uh, it's in State College, Altoona and the surrounding areas. The Atlantic District, you're seeing more players coming from there. You're actually seeing more players. Uh, I'm, I'm jumping around a little bit. Sorry, but like you're seeing like uh, very good players come from California, Texas. Mm-hmm. And so like Pennsylvania is not, uh, even though Philadelphia and Pittsburgh are our hotter spots. It's still not like a, a hotter spot when you're, when you're comparing to the state of Minnesota or the yeah. state of Massachusetts, like we're, we're behind them. Um, but that's natural. It's going to natural, take time, but it's going to take time. And I think we will catch up because there's, uh, there's some great, I mean, there's some great young players, um, in both uh, Pittsburgh and uh, Philly area that are, that are U14s that are, you know, like they will be dynamite when they, when they get older. And so 
do you have a recruiting area or a footprint that you really want to target or do you guys go across the entire country? Yeah, we'll go across the uh, entire U.S., Canada, mm-hmm. over overseas. We just want to tr- try to find the best and brightest uh, players. How does the coaching staff go about finding a player initially? What's that process like for fans out there who aren't familiar with hockey recruiting? The, the NCAA almost needs to like step in and help us, like at least women's ice hockey college coaches because i don't know if it's if it's similar in men's or not but like we could with the exception of uh the month of may mm-hmm. we could go on the road every single weekend and so there's there's people out there that'll produce like these uh or come up with these tournament showcases almost every single weekend and you try to identify the the, the ones that are really like running great programs that can get really good players there um as a whole and so um so even in, in um you know september like it, like it's like fall recruiting summer recruiting it's all very important like you, you you don't really you have to like self-impose time off because otherwise like your your work-life balance is completely uh, out of whack but like we'll go we've identified like um like third-party people that we that we really trust to run these uh, things, and we'll t- try to attend those events. And uh, knowing that um, they have the best interest of the of those players at heart, and they're trying to find, I, they're trying to expose them to college coaches, and you know the relationship like works that way. So that's kind of how we do it, and then we'll follow through um, when we can, when it's appropriate. Um, players do send videos, like you know when they're when it's of of age, uh, when they you know when it's now they're like juniors and seniors, but I'm not a, I can get a, a little bit off that. Like I'm not personally, I'm not a fan of the video because I, I kind of, I, I need to be there and see how plays develop uh, rather than just, if someone's capturing it well and capturing a whole game, then mm-hmm. that's okay. If someone is showing just clips and that doesn't really help me as much, but, uh, but they've also like these, these uh, youth coaches or third parties, they've trained the players to, or the re- student athletes, the recruited student athletes to keep in touch with the college coaches that they're those colleges that they're interested in and, and uh, so they do a lot of homework on on all of us as well. So it's hard to measure the hockey IQ off the video. Yeah, you can. You can I mean, you can measure skating and skill, but you know, like it, it's like when you watch like uh, like certain certain players, because um, some it, it varies. Sometimes you want to like like the best skating teams are usually the better teams, but mm-hmm. sometimes you can get a player that can really skate that uh, has trouble making that play at that critical moment. Um, so then do you give up a little bit of skating ability to, to somebody who always has their head up and is making that like right play 95% of the time. So that's always like, uh, um, that's always a bait we'd, we'd have as a, as a staff to figure out exactly what we need. Moving forward, what would you define? How would you define success for your program at Penn state? Uh, success really is um, is probably like cliches, but literally like getting better every day. And like I mentioned earlier, like getting a uh, a culture where their standard is excellence, like in in all their decision making, um, decision making like that's in the best interest of the team. Knowing that they have to sacrifice, knowing that like hockey is the longest season on campus, um, knowing that they have to sacrifice certain social things, they have to sacrifice going to football games, like whatever it may be, uh, academic, um, you know, making up classes because they're on the road. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but, but players who really are uh, invested in, uh, making those sacrifices to, to make a great team and a great program, 
that's that's the first part of it and then going back again is just creating that like family like atmosphere where where people like really do like love one another it's it's hard like sometimes there's going to be like uh disputes and and all that but at the end of the day like do you really like love your teammates and then can you walk together um years from now and reunion and and meet up at people's weddings and parties and i think that's what did you ever think about what you'd be doing if you weren't coaching hockey? I had this conversation with um, the Middlebury coach, Bill Manigo, and he's, uh, I think he's got six years to go before he gets maybe that retirement number. And uh, like I started like so uh, early that I still have a, like 20 years to go. And so, and I've been coaching for 23 years. So it's, uh, uh, and I always wondered like what I would be doing. And I, I can't answer that. Like I've been involved in uh, hockey my whole life. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I think I'm a better, I think I'm probably a better skating coach than I am actually an entire hockey coach. Um, so I, you know, I've been doing camps and I could help, uh, like just say these kids in this area, I could help them out a lot with their, when they're skating. Um, so it's just, there's not enough like time on the clock, but, um, uh, what else I would do. And a lot of my friends went into finance and, uh, being a lawyer and all those things. Like, I, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if I have the mental uh, capacity to, to do that. Did you think you were going to make it to the NHL? I mean, you were drafted by the yeah, Islanders, played in the AHL. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. It, I don't think. Uh, I think that was always the dream, and that was uh, always the the passion. Um, but I realized, uh, I realized you get to a certain point. Like uh, my my hockey was. Uh, I actually uh, played on probably some of the greatest uh, youth. This kind of seems weird, but some of the greatest youth hockey teams. Um, probably ever assembled with guys uh is a team called the Lyceum and there's guys like Steve Hines, Tony Amani, Marty McGinnis, Jeremy Roenick. I, I mean guys that went off and had uh NHL stars that'll probably be in the USA Hockey Hall of Fame at some point and then uh, uh but everyone on that team was a captain in, at their college um and then so my so it peaked and then around like you know eight like 20 ish, then you realize like, Hey, like to get to that next level, like you need to be really, really good. And so not just, not just decent. So like, so, but, uh, but to be able to stay involved in hockey, I think, um, uh, just the fact that, uh, I'm part of a team, um, I'm surrounded by uh, a bunch of individuals that are motivated. That's what, uh, keeps me going every day. So you might have some pretty good stories from growing up. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of like, I don't probably remember as many of the youth hockey stories, but I, uh, actually some people, um, I have a, I can name like maybe old NHLers that I've seen play. I can always remember their number and which way they shot. Um, probably any recruit that I go watch, I can remember which way she shoots. Um, but since I've had, uh, since I've had, or since my, my wife's had my, our, our children that, uh, in the last eight years, uh, sleep is sometimes like, um, uh, sometimes not as much as an option as I would like it to be. And, um, <laughs> my, my memory is like not as good as it used to be, but, uh, well, you're out of class. <laughs> you'll yeah. be okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Coach, we really appreciate the yeah. time. Thanks for being our guest and, uh, really appreciate the time. Good luck all season. All right. Thank you. Right. Jeff Campersall, Penn state women's hockey head coach. And we'll talk to you next time here on let's go state, the official podcast of Penn state athletics. <laughs> Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics.